let's go to God in prayer before we open up our time together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this day and for this gathering. Um, The things that bring us together and unite us uh, sometimes catch us off guard. But here, here we know what binds us together. The blood of your Son and our Savior. And Father, on, on days like today, we are mindful of many people. We are mindful for the men in our lives that have played the role of Father. For the effect they have had on our lives. We are thankful for the men that have done that and the way that you have worked through them. But at the same time, we are also aware that a a day like today brings up some experiences for some that aren't nearly as pleasant. There are many who have experienced loss recently, and this day brings up a whole new point of grief and mourning. There are some who have always desired to be a father but haven't been able to. There are some who had fathers that were not very much like you. We lift each of them up in their different circumstances. For those who rejoice, we rejoice with them. For those who mourn, we mourn with them. For those who are just frustrated and angered, we stand with them in their frustration and their anger. And we know that you do as well. But we know that you are a perfect father in all of your ways. And we are your children. We thank you for the way that you have called us, the way that you have claimed us, and how far you have came to redeem us and call us your own. May we be mindful of that as we leave this place and as we live our lives. And for the next few moments as we open your word, God, I pray that we would be still. That all of those things that compete for our time and our attention would just be put on the back burner for a moment that the Spirit may work within us. And I pray that as we leave this place, we will not leave Him here, but we will take you with us. Follow where you lead. Listen to that still, subtle voice that guides us, that we would be aware of your presence. We pray that people would be aware of who you are, that they would know your grace, and that they would know your mercy, and they would know your love because of the way that you've used us in their lives. We thank you for Jesus for his sacrifice, and for the bond of unity we have in his blood. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we will be today as we uh, continue to look at this uh, series, A Masterpiece in Progress. Uh, March 1st, a day that will live in infamy, in my life anyway, as long as I'm alive, it's my birthday. But that's not what we're talking about today. March 1st, 2014, in uh, Holmes County, Mississippi. Probably haven't thought of Holmes County, Mississippi lately, have you? Um, Walter Howard, 78, was in-home hospice care. The hospice nurse called the hospital and said, I need you to send an ambulance. I believe Mr. Howard has just passed away. Um, he'd been sick for a long time, and they had expected this day to come. And so the ambulance arrives, and they do all the customary checks. And sure enough, he's got no pulse. He is not breathing, and he is pronounced dead. And so they call the coroner. 
And as is the case with the coroner, they're not Johnny on the spot. And so it's a couple of hours later before the coroner gets there, and he goes through the same systems of checks and balances. The man is not breathing, and the man has no pulse. He's um, been dead for some time. And so they begin the process of moving him to the morgue. And so they get to the morgue, and they, get to, uh, they pull him out of the, the hearse, and they take him into the embalming room, when all of a sudden, the body bag begins to move. As Walter Holmes begins kicking for his life, you know. Um, that's a weird story. And, and, and the coroner says it had to have been a miracle because three different people had agreed that this man was dead. But the only thing he knew at this moment was, I don't know what happened in the past, but at this moment, this man is alive. And so he called the hospital again and said, the man that we just delivered to the morgue is alive. And they're like, no, nah, I checked him myself. I said, well, you can come argue with him if you want, but the man has just kicked his way out of a body bag. Dead people don't do that. You know what else dead people don't do? They don't come back to life. Except when they do. Except when they do. Like, we acknowledge, right, that physically speaking, that doesn't happen. But what we see here in Ephesians chapter 2 is God really describing a resurrection of sorts. Maybe a preview of what is to come. But spiritually speaking, he says, I've made you alive when you were dead. God has reconciled himself or us to himself by making us alive when we we're dead. Let's read here or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's going to be real hard for me to not to fall into the class that I've been teaching for the last week. Uh, we teach one class 12 times um, at this camp. And it's kind of, there's this script that's kind of ingrained in my head. So I'm going to try not to jump tracks, okay? So if all of a sudden I start talking about Jesus healing the blind man, you'll know what happened. All right. Which is also a good story. But it has nothing to do with Ephesians. He says, that made you alive. You were dead in your transgressions. Um, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. But we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. All right, so it begins here, and he begins talking about the work of salvation. The work of salvation is God's work, and it is his alone. But it is a work of resurrection. We think a lot of times, right? I think about our salvation. I think about, you know, being taken to a new place and a new life and what is to come. Uh, But sometimes we forget that the work of salvation is really indeed a work of resurrection in the here and now. Because you were dead. You were dead in your sin. But through Jesus Christ, I have brought you back to life, not so that you can look forward to someday, one day, when you 
will live with me, but so that you can live now with that new life that you have received in Jesus. There, there's something here, you know, Paul emphasizes, he contrasts who we were before we met Jesus and who we were after we met Christ. I love hearing people's testimony. I love hearing people talk about the lives that they have led, especially people who have become Christian, because what they will always describe is who they were before and who they are now. And for many, that story is dramatic. It is powerfully obvious in, in, the, in the physical and the flesh that this is a different person now than they were before. I have friends, I have family who talk about the lives that they were leading before they met Jesus. And then once they had this encounter with Jesus or some Christian who introduced them to Jesus and they turned their lives over and now they have decided I live for me no more and my life is totally changed. And there are other stories that are a little more average or mundane, if you will, at least by this world's standards. And it was just a choice that I made one day, either in a church service or at a church camp or sitting at home in the living room talking with mom and dad, and we decided that it was time that I was baptized. And on the outside, not a whole lot had changed. But the truth that we know, and as we see here, is that on the inside, everything is the same between those two stories. It says it doesn't matter who you are, where you were, what you're doing, or how you live, before you knew Christ, you were dead in your sin. And it didn't matter if your sin was big and dramatic and illegal or if your sin was seemingly little, less dramatic, perfectly legal. He said sin is sin and you were dead in your sins before you met Jesus. But God has made you alive in Christ. And if you are made alive in Christ, what do you do? You live. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Croods. I think I've used this illustration before, but this, this prehistoric type family is living in a cave and they always live in the darkness of the cave because outside in the light it's dangerous. There's animals out there they don't understand that are trying to eat them. There's, there's all kinds of things that cost them their life and, and, and the dad keeps the family holed up in this, in this cave. And the daughter wants to go out and explore because she's seen what it's like to live in the light. And she's seen what it's like to be in the sunshine and to feel the warmth. And she's like, i got to go outside for something besides hunting and eating and then coming back in. She goes, i got to keep you safe so you can be alive. And she says, Dad, this isn't living. This is just not dying. And too many times as Christians, we are perfectly content to just simply not die. He says, I have made you alive. In Christ. Look, if you are dead and you are given new life, you should have a new appreciation for life. And I think how many times have things happened in my life that I've said, you know what, that's that's a wake-up call. That is a wake-up call. I've got to start appreciating what I have because things could be gone just like that. We had a young man at camp this week that stepped off the curb outside of the church at East Hill Church of Christ in York, Nebraska. 
and didn't see the car that was going about 35 rolling down the road. And he saw it at the last minute, and as he turned around, the, the, his elbow hit the windshield. Knocked him up in the air about seven feet before he came back down to the ground. And that woman got out of the car and stood over that 12-year-old boy or that 13-year-old boy on the street and began yelling at him because you broke my windshield. But when my friend Chris Carino called his parents, what they realized is, I know we're 11 hours away, but I got to come hug my boy. (laughs) And so they got in the car and they began to drive and they drove 11 hours so they could hug the boy because what they realized was that could have gone really different really fast. All of a sudden, this new understanding of what's important comes to life when we, when we have those brushes with danger and sometimes with, with life and death type situations. But that is really the jolt of reality that Paul is wanting the Ephesians to understand is that this is one of those things. That before you were in Christ, Maybe some of you were very different. Maybe some of you were quite the same on the outside, but on the inside you were dead. And you have been given new life in Christ. And so live, live like you are in Christ. But he also emphasizes that this work, it's not your work. You and I don't do the work of salvation. The work is God so that no man may boast. Look at what he says in verses 4 and 5. He said, But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. And he goes on again in verses 8 and 9, if we read a little bit further. Um, we'll just pick up there in verse 6 he says together with Christ Jesus he has raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for you are saved by grace through faith and this not from yourselves it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. You see, we are the display of God's handiwork. That this is His work that He is doing and we are just this place where we get to display the works that God is doing. And you see what that means, right? That means we are a display of God's works and that doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything. And that the way you live and the way you act doesn't matter. Just because it's not the works that you do that bring about your salvation, the fact that you are a display of the work of God indicates that what you do matters a whole lot. The way you live matters immeasurably. Because we are a display of God's grace. We are a display of God's mercy. We are a display of His love. And I want you to look at the life that you lead. I want you to look at the interactions that you have, at the conversations that you have, about the choices that you make. Do they display God's mercy? Do they display His faithful love? 
do they display God's grace? And I guess the truth is we could all say, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. We have been made alive. We are God's handiwork. Um, I don't know about you, but you know our fridge was always full, especially when the kids were younger of, of their artwork. Thinking maybe one day one of the kids would be a Rembrandt and we would have these early pieces that we could sell for many, many dollars. Not hundreds or thousands of dollars. And my kids are good at a lot of things. And, and art is kind of some of them, but probably not going to be selling their children's works as masterpieces anytime soon. They could still surprise me, right? But we have this display because, not because we really think we're going to be able to sell them for a lot of money someday. But because what we see in each one of those pieces is we see a piece of our children. We see their personality. Um, I don't know if, if you've seen James Baumgartner's little comic books. It's like, they need to be published. I could sit and read those things for hours. I'll see you. They're awesome. But you know what you see when you see those is you see a little piece of himself come out in that. You see his personality. You see his character. You see his humor. It's the same thing, right? And, and that's the thing about artwork. The word for handiwork is poema, which is the word for poem. And, and when you read a poem, you know that the one who wrote the poem has poured themselves into those words and those phrases to make you feel and see things in a certain way. The craftsman has an imprint of himself on his craft. And, and, and Paul is bringing us to light. You are a display of God's gracious handiwork. And you are continuing to be created. Continuing to be made new. You see, we go back to somebody's testimony. Whether it seems to be dramatic or not, on the inside it is dramatic. Because you were dead and you are made alive spiritually in Christ. And whether the world thought you had a long ways to go, or the world thought you weren't that far off, the truth is, every single day, we are made new. And we are continuing to be shaped into His image. We're born with this um, peace of God within us, but the thing is, because of the world in which we live, that peace is hidden, and frequently it's hidden deep within, and it has to be excavated and uncovered and reshaped and molded. And as we allow the Spirit to work and create, He does just that. But the truth is, a lot of times, I look at my life and I think, God broke the mold when He made me. And not because I was special. Sometimes I look at my life and think, God broke the mold when He met me because He said, don't need another one of those. File 13, that mold. But God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't mess up. That even in your flaws and your shortcomings and in the places where you fall flat on your face, you are a display of His grace. 
even when you fall miserably short, you are a display of his mercy. Because you are his children. We should live like we are his children. His goodness and his grace show up in our lives, maybe even especially when we fall short. Dwayne Wade is a now a former NBA basketball player. He always said, fall down seven times, stand up eight. I don't know how you can stand up more times than you've fallen, but he could. But the point is, it's not about how you fall or how many times you fall. The point is that you get up more than you go down. You stand up more than you fall. You rise up more than you fail. Because every time we fail and rise up, we are a display of His goodness, of His grace, of His mercy, of His love. We're not very good at that, though, are we? We're not very good at restoration. Um, there is a, uh, in Spain, I think, I should have written down the, uh, the name of the place, but there's a sanctuary. This is St. George, and it is a statue uh, of St. George and his military exploits. Um, and it's a little worn over time. It's been there for a while. Um, and if you kind of zoom in on the face, maybe this will give a, a good idea there. It's, you can see, still in pretty good shape, but there was an art school that decided they were going to restore it. And that's what it looks like now. Um, that's not restoration. In fact, uh, they were not very happy at the result they got. But see, God doesn't make those kind of mistakes when he goes to restoring people. He stores us back to the kind of shape that we were created to be in. Because when God goes to work on restoring people, he doesn't restore them to some man-made image of what man thinks they should look like. He begins to restore people into the way he has created them to be. in His image, in His design. I've tried restoring things before. I get frustrated. All right, I get frustrated because rusty things don't come out clean with ketchup like it says on the commercials. And I've tried cleaning things with soda. I mean, you name it. There's all kinds of things out there. OxyClean. We use OxyClean for everything. But on the commercial, what happens in the carpet is you take that, the spray bottle and you put the OxyClean in there and shake it up and you just spray it and it disappears, which is awesome. It hasn't worked that way for me yet. I have tried restoring that old cheap carpet that they put in my house when they built it. It sure did look good when we moved in. But I'll tell you what, when you walk in my living room now, you can see where people walk. You can see the path around the living room. And it's painfully obvious when a bench gets moved that's been covered up a little spot of that carpet. Two things are painfully obvious. How clean it used to be. And how nice and fluffy it used to be. And now it's all, now it's all matted down and dirty. And it doesn't matter how many times we vacuum and shampoo and scrub. It looks good for about an hour and then it dries. And that carpet just goes... Lays right back down. It looks kind of looks matted and dirty again. It looks used and worn. 
I'm not good at restoring things. Aren't you glad I'm not God? (laughs) Aren't you glad you're not God? Because as good as you might be at restoring things, you're not as good as God is either. From the moment we made a choice in the garden to allow sin to enter, God has been about the work of creation. In fact, even before that, God has been about the work of restoration and renewal. Look at what he says there in verses 6 and 7. Continues it on in verses 8 and 9. Since these things were set out for you beforehand. There's a design. And God is restoring and recreating and renewing. And he's doing so as you have agreed to live for him. Because you've been resurrected from the dead. dead in your sins and you've been made alive in Christ let us live like we have been made alive not like we're just trying to not die may we embrace the calling we've been given as God's people 